Okay. So we're going to continue um, similar format. I like to think of this as not me teaching you, but rather giving you an opportunity to read and meditate on the scriptures. Um, and I really meant what I said in my prayer. I want this to be fresh and new. So just listen, try and put yourself back to the first century, hearing these things and everything that, that happened and, um, uh, and be ready to share what stood out to you. Um, what what you see in the scripture, and there will be lots of opportunity for comment. Again, my job is to make sure everybody who would like to make a comment and is willing to make a comment has the opportunity to. So I'll try to uh, not make it too heavy on one person and give everybody a chance to share what what stood out to them in the text. So if you would, let's uh, you're able, let's stand while we read uh, the first section of John chapter five. We'll read through verse 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored, covered colonies. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that, that it was Jesus who had made him well. You be seated. Okay. Um, really quickly, what, what's... Uh, how would you summarize that section? What stood out to you this time through? Yeah, Tony? I guess it's a matter of interpretation of how you read it. It's asking the question of uh, do you want to be healed? Either as, oh, do you want to be healed? Or as opposed to, do you really, do you really want to be healed? Or do you kind of like being Good, good, yeah. So, Tony's comment for those that may not be able to hear. Um, he said that it's interesting that he asked the man if he wanted to be healed. Um, probably the the best word would be, would you be healed? Um, 
And the the uh, maybe it's a fair question, right? And, and I think Tony was hinting at we all have the opportunity to be healed. The question is, would you? Is it in your will to be healed? Other thoughts? Bob? Right, yeah, so in the, in the end, um, the man got got up and, and walked. The pool never even did anything, right? He's been there for 38 years. The pool had nothing to do with his healing. I, the establishment stood out to me. Okay. He had been there for 38 years and no one would help him. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... 38 years lying there and still no one made sure that he could get in the pool. Yeah, Chris. Just to be clear, he, he'd been an invalid for 38 years. Right, okay, so yeah, he was an invalid. We don't um, know how long he'd been. Is that fair? Right, okay, yeah, yeah. So he was an invalid for 38 years. Chris is saying we don't know necessarily that he had been laying at the pool for 38 years. Um, but it seems like there had been plenty of opportunity and it still, he still couldn't make it happen, right? And the whole pool itself is just really interesting, you know. Was right. it, was it real? Was it an right. imagination thing that they okay. yeah. real? Or, you know, we have other information a little bit that, it, you know, the waters were stirred. Right. It okay. appears like there was something there, maybe. I don't know. Right, yeah, okay, so let's talk about that just for a minute and kind of clear that. Um, as I was reading, I skipped over what would be verse 4. Um, some of you might have noticed that I skipped over some text. So um, just to save some time, basically uh, when the verses were added, the translation that was used for adding verses and marking them off was one that had verse 4 in it, okay? Then as more manuscripts are discovered and the body of evidence for the New Testament grows and grows, and now we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts, back as early as maybe um, 150 AD, um, maybe even earlier, uh, some manuscripts are really only 30 to 50 years after they were first written, we see that the earliest manuscripts don't have verse 4 in them. So verse 4 um, would read, From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, um, the, the famous papyrus number 66 and number 75, that may not mean a whole lot to you guys, but these are famous texts because... They were discovered and are very, very early. So P66 and P75 don't have verse 4 in there. The Codex Vaticanus, which is at the Vatican and a full copy dating to probably uh, 
hand lettered around 330 to 350 AD, um, didn't have verse 4 in there. Um, and so the earliest manuscripts didn't have it. However, Tertullian, who lived around 200 AD, between 170, I think mean he died in 220, he mentions the pool of Bethesda and says the angel would come down and stir the water. So this tradition of the waters being stirred, and I'll call it a tradition, maybe a legend of the walk on angels stirring the waters, was very, very early, um, maybe contemporary with these events. And perhaps a scribe saw verse 7 that I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred and thought, Whoever reads this might not understand what's happening here in verse 7. So in the margin, I'm going to put, um, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would stir the waters whenever God was healed. So um, a lot of scholars suppose that maybe this was a margin that eventually was interpolated into the text. So... um, but again, it's a very early, very old tradition. It's not something new. Uh, if your Bible has it in there, it's probably King James Version. But in an effort to um, make the scripture look like the oldest manuscripts we have, it's probably just in a footnote. So, um, but, uh, so, so what do you think about that legend? Any other thoughts come to mind um, about this interaction? Okay, it was so crowded that Jesus could just slip out, right, in the crowd and be unnoticed. They also were there for that pool. For so, so that's how popular or how believable it was at the time, right? Because he, he had trouble; he couldn't get in because there were too many that would get in before him. Right. Yeah. Is it the chosen that does this scene? Has anybody seen, they they portrayed this in The, the Chosen, which is a series by Angel Studios of the life of Jesus. And they have this guy getting older and older. He is sitting by the pool for 38 years, they interpret it that way. And every time the water is stirred, it's like the first one in wins the lottery. And so as soon as the waters bubble up, everybody flocks. And I... That's kind of what I picture in my head. Anybody have anything, like, picture anything different? Okay. Yeah, boy. Okay, so Jesus picks out the the, the one that, had, that he has the most pity on, almost. Like, this guy's been there for 38 years, or he's been an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus um, has pity on this, this man. Yeah. Oh, Mitch. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know what the significance of that 
Right. Yes, yeah. So the man is healed 
after 38 years of being an invalid, and he doesn't even know who healed him. I know we'd be like, Doctor, so everybody go see this guy. He healed me. We like that would be right. We pass around words of names of doctors. He doesn't even know who it was, right? Um, one, one more thing real quick. Uh, he also seems to blame everybody else, depending on how you read it. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he's like, not my fault. I've been sitting here. Nobody helps me through the pool. You know, I, everybody just right. All these selfish people here that want to be healed, right? So... And then he's healed, and he doesn't even say thank you. At least not in the text. Doesn't even know who Jesus is. Um, let's see. I saw a couple of hands. Carrie, and then I. Um, he might not have known who Jesus was because he lived in a very limited world. He wasn't out with the people, seeing the things that other people were seeing. And this guy comes along. I don't know who he is. Right. Right. Right, yeah, and failing for 38 years, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it still strikes me that after he's healed, like he just had a life changing event and he hasn't even ever changed his life, right? Jesus always says that it's, it's not my time yet. And so when he went into this group, it, he probably didn't want all these people to know who he was and stuff at that point. He's just plucked one to prove who he was and then let them fight about it because it says in that uh, when he says, I didn't know who he was, he said because Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Right. So, I mean, he didn't want to go through there healing everybody. So he just killed him and walked away. He's the one that, that left the scene. And because he knew he would run into him again, he does in the temple. Right, yeah, it does, it does seem like Jesus goes in, he spins the top and just walks away, right, Micah? Yeah, so Jesus says, stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you. You wouldn't say that to a, a good man who's just been, you know, just had bad things happen to him. And think about what does he then go and do? He runs and tells on Jesus. And becomes a type of Judas. He's healed and then he goes and turns that person over to the authorities. Mitch? I find it interesting also that the healing itself is never questioned. Um, right. It's like they, they are willing to give that win to Jesus, but it doesn't affect them. Um, right. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So they never question the healing, right? And. Jesus, maybe Jesus chose the guy that everybody knew the best. He'd been invalid for 38 years. Maybe he'd been at the pool 
for most of those 38 years trying to be healed. He is a staple. Tons of people maybe have come there, been healed, or they go away and don't complain anymore. Jesus chose the guy that everybody knew, so nobody would would think, oh, he came in and he picked a guy like one of those televangelists, heals him, and you know they nobody knew who he was anyway. And he shows up, he's acting like an invalid. No, nobody could could explain this away. Bob. Yes. Yeah, it is interesting to me that he finds him in the temple. Now, I don't know when he found him in the temple. It doesn't give us a time marker for that, at least in what I was reading. Um, so I don't know if it was later that day, which is interesting that he would go straight to the temple because he, as an invalid, would have not been able to go to the temple for 38 years, at least. Right? Uh, Brenda? Oh, yeah, Adam. I, I see here a change in expectations. The, the individuals who were around that pool, the people in town, they expected something to happen there. Often something would happen. Someone would be healed or whatever. But here this man wasn't expecting Jesus. He wasn't expecting him in any way to encounter him in the way that he did. But I think now expectations are changing. And so what is it we expect Jesus to do in our lives? Right, good. So expectations are changing, right? People expected to occasionally be healed by this pool, but not by Jesus. Yeah, Leah? So uh, Jesus saw in his heart that this man's biggest problem was sin. Um, and just think of this big picture. Why was Jesus at a pool where a bunch of diseased and disabled people congregate? He, you know he wasn't there to get a drink of water, right? He, the, they say that the water was brown uh, because of iron. Um, it, and it was probably not very savory. He was there for a purpose. And just picture him, I, it seems like this is a microcosm of the gospel. Jesus walking amongst all of these diseased and disabled people looking for someone to heal. And he's, he's doing that today. And all of us are here because Jesus plucked us out and we would be healed. We will to be healed. And here we see Jesus doing just that. It's no nothing has changed. Jesus is still doing this. Yeah, Mike. I'm not saying that you're wrong at all. Okay. I, I look at this story differently. I guess um, I don't necessarily see this guy as selfish as, but because. I have to believe with everything that went on, we're just given the information that we need to really understand what the point of the story is. And I, I have to believe there was more interaction between he and Jesus um, 
and the fact that he didn't thank him, maybe he did, it just wasn't recorded for us. Okay. And the fact that for 30, over 30 years, he hasn't been able to go to the temple, now he has a chance to go to the temple, so he does go to the temple, right? As you mentioned. Yes. Um, and so, I never looked at this man as being one that was, you know, a major sinner and selfish and didn't appreciate what Jesus did, but we just don't have those details, but that's really not important for the story. So good, good, I'm just yeah. That, that there might be another way to look at it too. Sure, sure, yeah, I, I agree. And it is puzzling to me. Would you be a little bit cynical if you had been an invalid for 38 years? Can I say I would be any more, any less indignant than this guy was and nobody was helping him? I'd probably be worse, right? I'd probably be blaming it on everybody, including God. And here, you know, this man was willing to be healed. Huh? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Certainly, Jesus is compassionate. Um, why didn't he heal everybody else that was there? Wouldn't that have been a better sign? Wouldn't it have been better if he just walked through and just boom, boom, everybody's healed, and the whole place gets up and walks out cleansed? Right. Right. Because that's not his purpose. Right. Jesus isn't here to heal everybody's physical ailments. And I think that's why his conversation with the man in the temple, when he, he met him again in the temple, and he said, see, you are well. This man's just coming off of 38 years of what he thinks is the worst thing that has ever happened to him. Right. And he says, you're well, stand no more. Or something worse, worse will happen. happen. Yes. So he said, if you think your physical body is the worst thing that can happen to you, Right. Yeah. The reason he doesn't just come in and heal everybody is because that's not what they need. What they need is a spiritual savior, someone to remove their sin, right? Or something worse than their physical situation can happen to them, right? Sometimes when he heals people, if they spread the word too much, it can interfere with his work. That's right. Yeah. It, too popular, too fast, right? He's he's got to do more. Um, he's got a, a plan, Dave. Right. Yeah. Yes, yes, lots of people are in, have physical needs in the Bible, right? The people who were killed by the, the tower, or when Pilate um, slaughtered all of these Galileans and mixed their blood with uh, idol uh, sacrifices. All these things, people come to Jesus, what, do you, what about them? What, how bad were they that that happened to them? Jesus said, no, 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 you think you're any, any, any better than them? Unless you repent, you also will not receive eternal life. Yeah, John? Yeah, I think this is one of the weird things in life. It's like, 
you know, if we were to get everything in order in our lives and we were not, and we were not to commit to anymore, it's not obvious that things would be perfect, right? There are still things that happen, but we can make a whole lot worse, right? That, that is possible. So it, it, it's like, look, uh, you know, go and sin no more, not necessarily having to say, your sin is the reason that you're in this place right now, but from this point on, don't engage in that anymore because things can definitely be a whole lot worse. Right? right. Don't, yeah. don't think that it's only up from here, right, necessarily. Good point, good point, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, sin definitely has consequences. So, in that sense, you know, uh, sin can lead us into terrible situations, right? Um, I think in context, the bigger message is the worst thing that can happen here is you lose your soul. Um, let's see. So, uh, talk, let's talk really quickly about the, the Pharisees, or the Jewish leaders rather, asking about him. Um, what, did anything stand out to you about that? Aaron? They were, as Brother said, they weren't questioning the healing of the They were questioning Jesus, saying, He's on the equality of God. And that's the problem. They, they don't seem to even care about the man. It's what Jesus said, He's on the equality of God. And, and Philippians 2 talks about how he, he was on the equality of God, yet He submitted Himself to, to earth and things. But He is God. Very good, yeah. Um, so let's use that as a transition. Um, if you would stand and let's read the next few verses. We're going to read through verse 30. Um, and we'll see some more about Jesus making himself equal with God. Notice that pattern here. Starting verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does... The Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge, because He is the Son of Man. 
Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Right, you can be seated. Okay. What stood out to you in that section? Yes, sir. Sorry. If I don't see you, just start waving really big. Right? Um, I saw a hand just a second. All right. 
advocate Chris. So there are other places where this comes up again. Yes. I, I have the same question. Did Jesus ever break the Sabbath? And I would say no. Okay. This is their traditions that he's breaking. But if Jesus could change the law, any part of the law, then why couldn't he change all the law? And then, therefore, Jesus did not keep the law perfectly. I mean, we have, I always come back to that point. Jesus kept the law perfect in order to be our sacrifice. If he didn't, then it really doesn't mean anything. It's like, oh, well, he changed that part or that one little thing. Well, then it's all, it's the same with us. If we break one law, we're a sinner. And it can never go back, and Jesus never did. Okay. So there has to be something else there. Even when this says the reason they were seeking to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath. Well, they, in their eyes, that's what they were saying. He was breaking the Sabbath. They were, right. He was breaking their tradition. But Jesus never broke the law. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So for the benefit of the recording, in case you didn't hear Chris, um, Chris is saying is asking, did Jesus break the Sabbath? Either he broke the Sabbath and is kind of tweaking the law as he goes so that he, uh, and, and correcting the law, but then that means he's not a perfect keeper of the law. So, um, what Chris was saying is he doesn't think Jesus broke the Sabbath by any stretch. He did what they thought, what the Jewish leaders thought, and what they had, the hedge that they had built up around the Sabbath. He, he was stepping on that, but had not broken the Sabbath. Which is interesting, there's some, you know, I think we should, we could have some application about when we try and enforce the hedge, right? Or when we try and keep the hedge trimmed perfectly so that everybody can see it, right? Lynn? Right. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe to what Chris was saying, Jesus actually understands the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Creator of the Sabbath. He understands what the Sabbath is supposed to do and what it's not supposed to do. So here. He's keeping the Sabbath as it was intended. It's always been right to do good on the Sabbath. Luke, and then. Yeah, if you follow rules, people put around it. I mean, you Right, so along with all the hedges, they built loopholes for that that suited them best. And they made the Sabbath what they wanted it to be, right? And, and they could, uh, they said, okay, well, you can't, you can't travel on the Sabbath. Well, what constitutes traveling? Okay, and some rabbi at some point said, alright, seven miles or thirteen miles or whatever it is. You can walk this many miles and not violate the Sabbath. 
and then boom, there it was for all time, right? Um, when, when really that that's that's not anything to do with Sabbath. Does it also not show the part though that instead of giving a remedy for the man carrying his bed, uh, they just seek to condemn as opposed to, <clears throat> well, put your bed down and we can take you in, we can give you some food or something like that. Or they could have been ones to offer to take you to or anything like that. No offer to help the man just seeking condemnation. Right, yeah. He's even saying the father's not looking to judge. Very good. So they're not willing. They're not ready to help the man. They're just ready to condemn him. They don't want to help him obey the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath in their eyes. They just want to condemn him, right? Um, so yeah, Anne-Marie. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, if your ox falls in a ditch, then again, another loophole that they built in. Okay, the way we've got this written, is like these are a bunch of lawyers, right? The way we've got this written, then you can't do this. So we've got to, we've got to make this an exception to the exception to the general rule so that we can put, we don't want anybody to lose their ox. Well, if all of them were laying, they would have found a loophole for this. Right, yes. But because they don't, they currently don't have to do with that. They won't find a way for it. But only those things that they actually might affect them. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. How often do we justify what we want to do and make it permissible and make it the right thing to do? Right. And it seems like the purpose of the Sabbath. You go back and read, at least for me, it seems like the purpose of the Sabbath is to take time to meditate and see God the Father. And so that's what Jesus is helping them to see God the Father through through this. Um, and so in that way, he is helping them to fulfill the Sabbath. Right. Of, Good. The Sabbath was supposed to be reflective, right? And let me ask this question. What does the Sabbath reflect, and how does that come up here? Mike? God was not obligated to give us a Sabbath, or give his people a Sabbath. Okay. It, it, was, it was an act of mercy that, that, that he would give them a day that they could reflect and meditate. And so I, I see mercy in that and that's what Jesus is doing. He is acting in mercy. Uh wherever Good. they are. Yeah. So it's a merciful thing to do to get rest. Where did the rest come from? Creation. Creation, right? On the seventh day God rested. What does Jesus say about God's rest? Did you catch that? He rested on the seventh day, but he's working now. And has been working, and I'm doing the exact work that he's been doing. Right? Bob? It always helps me when I'm reading these accounts. Don't you do it. When I'm reading these accounts, too. You know, just as Jesus was captured, you know, in, in, in this book we're studying, in John 11, in 48, 
the chief priests and the Pharisees were convened, and they told us their problem with Jesus. And it's been the same problem since he showed up. Because he's been working on these miracles. And it says, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Sad, they'll find anything they can wrong with you. Right. Everything is a trumped up charge, we know. And they, they just use their, their own traditions, anything whatsoever. To justify what they like to do. To do this because he's a threat to them. Yeah. And, the, and they don't have to do it. Yeah. Good. Yes, sorry. Uh, not only was the Sabbath the issue, it goes on to say that they took offense at him because he created, he made himself equal with God. In this whole next section, he talks about his unity with the Father. And verse 21 stood out. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will, which is what he just did for that man. Right. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so... Um, verse 21, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. And he just gave life uh, to this invalid, right? Huh? He gives judgment to the Son, verse 23, that all men honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. He's really putting this to a. You're on me. Right, good, yeah. Which again, all of this is pointing to his equality with God, right? And a lot of times um, you'll hear people argue, um, skeptics or doubters argue, that Jesus never really said that he was God. Well, the Jewish leaders certainly thought that he was, right? They, they were convinced that he was, and it sure sounds like he is, right? Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah, he's shown it, right? Yes. Right, yep. And we'll see, there's a lot of things testifying about Jesus. His works are just one of them. Uh, Tony? He didn't fit the profile of the Messiah. And so they could not accept him. So they had to find it all the way. Because if they accept that he's God or equal to God or whatever, how they want to put it, then they have to accept the fact that he is the Messiah that has come in flesh. And today we're still looking for the Messiah to come in flesh. Yeah. He's Messiah, he is judge. Right? He, he's, he's, um, been given authority to judge. We won't even start the next section because we're about to get buzzed out here. I, I think it's significant too just to listen to the things that Jesus says and the way he says them. He sees the Father. He's doing something that he's read or studied himself. He sees the Father doing these things. In verse 20, uh, the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself Yeah, I get the picture there 
that just like a son, you see him and he's copycatting his father. Um, when he's older, it might be much more mature, but he's still copying his father. He's doing the things that his father does. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing the things my father's doing. And if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. Um, there, I want to end with this, this quote. Uh, you have eternal life. There's no judgment for those who understand and believe because their unity with the Son is as the Son's unity with the Father. They comprehend His ways with men. They share His counsels. They further His purposes. They live His life. Where there is this fullness of accord, judgment is impossible. They fail and fall short and mourn over their failings because they're human, but their will is at one with His will. There's no separation. They know the Father and the Son, and that is eternal life. Eternal, not a joy reserved for future reward, but fullness of living now. You you have eternal life. That's a huge... You could, we have it now. And it's eternal. It's always been. And always will be. And it's life. More life and fuller. Um, we sometimes crave um, a thousand different ways of seeking satisfaction. Work, wine, art, pleasure, politics, the passion of love. All's been tried and been found wanting. But life... No longer conscious of limitations, life of joyous, generous expansion, free as a bird, dutiful and humble as the life of angels. This is the sort of glad living that is the instant reward and result of the recognition of the Son we call faith. All right, we'll um, we'll pick up the scraps of chapter five on Wednesday and move on.